0: Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. I'm beyond grateful for my guest today. Luckily, when I approached him to be a guest, he remembered my family from 12 years ago and immediately agreed to share his knowledge with Healthcare 360. Up to the time my daughter was a toddler, we were in and out of various hospitals trying to figure out her obscure medical conditions. My guest today, Dr. Kenneth Bach of Bach Integrative Medicine in Red Hook, New York, is a medical detective with a long list of accolades, and he successfully treated all four of my daughters and changed the trajectory of our life. For more than three decades, Dr. Bach has dealt with complex medical problems by integrating quote-unquote alternative modalities with conventional medicine into a comprehensive integrative medical practice, and he sees patients from all over the world. His expertise lies in tackling problems that have been difficult to diagnose and or treat. Today, we will discuss the healing of the four A's, autism, ADHD, asthma, and allergies, the need for subtyping diagnoses, qualifying of supplements, inflammation, and what we can do today to support our immune system during the current pandemic. Today's podcast is the type of podcast that many of you would like to take notes for or should take notes for. There's a lot of information in here that can be confusing and hard to remember. There is a lot of information that may help your family, so please, take a minute and share this with others who may benefit. From all of us at Healthcare 360, we wish you all the health, strength, and resilience there is to offer. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Healthcare 360 Nation. We are another episode of Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. And in front of me, I'm going to come out and say this at first. So Remember the show, Dr. House, where you had this ingenious physician who could just figure things out. And it was some of the most underlying, most complicated stuff that no one else could get. Well, in short, I have this gentleman in front of me and the way I describe him. So I call him the modern day Dr. House. I've been calling him that for the last 15 years. And the reason why I call him that is because he saved our family and he saved my daughter from a life of hardship. We'll dive into that a little bit, but this is for everyone out there. The person in front of me is Dr. Ken Bach, and he is an integrative functional medical doctor. His rap sheet is huge. State University of New York, Buffalo, 1973. MD degree with honor of the University of Rochester School of Medicine, 1979. Board certified medical physician. Certified clinical nutritionist. Fellow of the American Academy of Family Practice. Faculty member of the Institute of Functional Medicine. He's a best selling author. He has written for the Psychology Today and Autism Digest, the Journal of Neuroimmunology, the Journal of Public Health, the American Journal of Medical Genetics, the Expert Review of Anti-Infective Therapies, and the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicines. His books, The Road to Immunology, Natural Relief of Your Child's Asthma, Survival Guide, and the bestseller, Healing the New Childhood Epidemics, Autism, ADHD, Asthma, and Allergies. We can go on and on. I'm thrilled. I'm honored to have you on the show. I haven't seen you since when you last saw my daughter. She's 15. She's thriving. And my 13-year-old twins, who didn't have nearly as many issues, but you also helped them as well, I want to say thank you. I can't say You're enough. You're
1: welcome. What can I say? You're very welcome.
0: Michelle helped me prepare for this whole thing. Last night, I said, hey, I said, Dr. Bach was able to get back in touch with me, and we were able to put together a cast. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And she put things together.
1: You and your wife did a very good job of putting that stuff together pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah.
1: She did. Yeah. I and mean, obviously you're good at it. Yeah. And, and uh, she's obviously been interested, both of you been interested in it.
0: When we went back and we asked the questions to parents, what do you want to see? What do you want to hear? How do you want to hear it? ADHD came up a lot. Microbiome came up a lot. And I said, you know something? There is someone I know that knows a lot about this. I said I've not speaking to him in a long, long time. Let me reach out. And you were the only person I had in mind when this this topic came up. And when I went back and I looked into your rap sheet, I mean, in so many words here. Holy shit. I mean, it is unbelievable (laughs) what you've done. I can't believe it. First off, how are you? How's everything been?
1: Everything's been great. Everything's been great. Listen, there are crazy times right now, but we meet the times and we've adapted and we're still Seeing patients, actually not seeing them, we're doing everything via telephonic medicine and video conferencing medicine right now. Yeah, listen, family's together. My kids are up from New York City with me. Everything is, we're lucky. I feel for those who have have the real hardship of losing their jobs and not having anything to fall back on. Those are the ones. And also, obviously, the frontline people who I just, sometimes people get to be called heroes when they happen to be in the right place at the right time. And they get labeled heroes. The people out there doing this, believe me, I'm a physician, I know what that takes. Those are real heroes, all those people out there putting their lives on the line.
0: I'm going to jump into that first topic point. You wrote an article that was released on March 10th, 2020, and how to support your immune system during the coronavirus. What do you want to say about that? What can people do? Coronavirus is here to stay, just like every other virus that's preceded it. That means that these guidelines are also here to stay. So what are some of the things that people can take from that?
1: So the first thing to know is that there's no specific cure or, quote, prevention for coronavirus. It's These are more general guidelines to help you with your immune system and to help protect one and others. So obviously, all the things that come down from the CDC and the federal, state, and local governments in terms of avoidance, social distancing, hand washing, all that kind of stuff is obviously very key. What we also emphasized in the article Basically, there are several ways that you can support your immune system in a general way. And my whole philosophy is if you look at your body as the vessel, you want to make the vessel as strong as possible. So should you encounter coronavirus, it's going to encounter an immune system that is very strong and it's going to go, whoa, rather than a weaker immune system. And you do the best you can. Obviously, this is nothing specific, but things like diet, very healthy, whole foods, Avoiding refined carbohydrates and sugars, which can affect your ability to phagocytize and fight microbes. So that's one thing. The other thing is the way that coronavirus really ultimately does its damage is it provokes profound inflammation. Profound inflammation, especially in the lungs, this is what usually kills people. The bottom line is you want to enhance your anti-inflammatory status. Some of that is dietary. Gluten and dairy can be inflammatory, and certainly in certain people and we see that in a lot of the kids I take care of. Sugar is inflammatory, those kind of things. So you want to have a clean diet, whole foods. You want to get adequate exercise, moderate, not totally intense, because it turns out that too intense exercise can be somewhat immunosuppressive, but moderate exercise is clearly immuno-enhancing. You want to try to manage your stress as best you can, especially in these crazy times. Part of it is resilience and flexibility and Uh, acceptance in certain ways of things that you can't control, uh, not resignation in any way. And then nutritional supplementation is, to me, very, very important and very helpful. If you saw what I take on a daily basis, and I've been doing this since I've been a doctor now 37 years. And I could probably count on one hand, maybe going into the second hand, how many days I've missed due to infections and things. I did miss almost two weeks with a herniated disc many, many years ago, Mm. but other than that, and I do attribute it to the life I lead and also the supplements I take. For corona right now, real quickly, vitamin C at high doses for adults, the upwards of 6,000 milligrams a day in divided doses, that's what they were using in China, and they're using it in some hospitals in New York City. Actually, I think intravenous vitamin C at higher doses, like 25 grams, could be helpful, and they're, they're doing studies of that in China and they're also doing studies of that in the States. A colleague of mine that we uh, led an organization together is uh, helping run the Dr. Drisco in Kansas City. Oral uh, vitamin C, oral zinc, 20, 30, 50 milligrams in that range, nothing, no crazy doses, but taking zinc on an everyday basis. I had just recently seen a lecture where zinc actually inhibits the viral replicase. Once the virus gets in the cell, it, it has an enzyme that replicates the RNA, and it keeps on dividing And zinc inhibits that. So zinc, vitamin C, selenium also has some antiviral type properties. And then some very specific immune modulators, transfer factor, these very tiny peptides that come either from colostrum, from bovine, which is a cow or egg yolks that can help transfer some immunity, including cellular immunity. So we have immune enhancing, what we call little peptides, which are little proteins and then immune enhancing polysaccharides, which are in the carbohydrate family, but they're not the bad refined carbohydrates, they're very, very helpful for your immune system, including the innate immune system, which is that initial immune system that meets and fights something like a virus. So Mm -hmm. uh, large arabenogalactans, some of the mushroom extracts are very, very helpful. Astragalus is another herb. So there's many, there's a number of things that people can do. And lastly, anti-inflammatory herbs, things like curcumin and resveratrol I think are very helpful to have on board, along with fish oils, that actually will, again, enhance that anti-inflammatory type state. So should you meet uh, something that provokes inflammation, you're in the best possible place. So that's those are some of the things. I mean, obviously people can't always do all of them, but at least they can do a few of those. At the very least, zinc and vitamin C. That would be the very least.
0: What's really interesting, in talking about the universal lining, is Michelle actually just gave me an article this morning where it promoted that zinc could, in the in the news, it's always a could because they don't want to be held responsible for, it, but could help deter or slow down the pace of coronavirus. So now that you're bringing it up, it's well because
1: uh, it inhibits the viral replication. That's right. why, yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah. It's n- no coincidence yeah. there. I,
1: everybody has to understand, like what your wife was saying, is that, and when I say it, and we make it very clear in the article. Anybody who's trying to talk about cures or specific prevention is they really can't say that. You got to watch out what you claim. But you can, you can these things definitely, there's literature to support them in terms of their effects on the immune system. And specifically now zinc with uh, inhibiting the viral replicates, that's something that actually I knew it was helpful, but I just learned the mechanism uh, not that long ago. So I think our information is increasing. And if you can generally support the immune system, it doesn't have to be totally specific. We don't have an antiviral right now that's clearly uh, made for um, the coronavirus, like we have herpes and things like that. But at the very least, you can support your immune system.
0: Yeah. One, thank you for all the information. A lot of people are going to use that in good regard. So thank you for sharing all that. So one of the reasons why I asked you to come on this show is there's a, a large population out there of people who are very frustrated. So let me go back a little bit. So when Michelle was putting together her short dissertation of all the signs and symptoms and areas of concern, and things that we needed to address, and everything that was happening with my oldest daughter, you were the only doctor that didn't call her crazy. You actually welcomed all <laughs> the information. You were like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it was such a sigh of relief. Today, that same example exists, okay? There are a lot of people who are just pushing aside. They're not recognizing the underlying signs and symptoms of what you called out in your book, ADHD, the autism, the allergy issues that are going on. So a lot of folks have reached out to us and said, hey, can you do a piece on this? And I said, sure, let's put it together. I don't know what's really changed. You've done all the research and you're actually part of that research effort and you've done uh, all your homework on this over the last 13 years since I last seen you. What do you think is the root cause of the ADHD, the allergy, the immune suppressing epidemic that's really gone on?
1: So first of all, I wouldn't call it immune suppressing epidemic. It's proper way to look at it is immune dysregulation. It's okay. a dysregulated immune system, not necessarily suppressed, because quite frankly, there's a significant component of overreactive immunity, an immune system that's hyperreactive and unfortunately reacting to itself, which mm-hmm. is violates the sine non of the immune system, which is be able to differentiate self from non-self. The immune system is supposed to be able to and I actually, in the new book, I have a whole chapter Immunology 101, which I was very happy to write. So it's kind of a distillation of some of the things I've spoken before in a way with a lot of the latest stuff. Having people understand how the immune system is supposed to be able to react to viruses and bacteria and cancer cells, but not to self. So there is a component of autoimmunity in a lot of these disorders. And also inflammation is a huge one. When we look at things like ADHD, and autism spectrum disorders, but let's focus on ADHD here. What you can take from the autism spectrum disorders is we need to subtype them. You get a diagnostic label like ADHD, whether it's inattentive subtype, impulsive hyperactive subtype, or combined subtype. The bottom line is you're getting a diagnostic label. In a lot of these conditions like autism, they're just descriptive. They describe behaviors Impairments in social interactions, impairments in communication, repetitive or restrictive behaviors, that kind of stuff for autism and ADHD, we know, in lack of attention, focus, concentration, hyperactive, impulsive. But the bottom line is once we have the diagnostic labels to be able to communicate with each other, doctor to doctor, doctor to patient, maybe even patient to patient, it doesn't tell you what's going on behind the scenes to cause it. And the reason that I feel like I've been as successful as I have in treating these disorders, is one of the first things I do is try to subtype. I try to figure out what is contributing, underlying, like you say, fashion, Mm -hmm. to these, quote, diagnostic labels, behaviors, what I call phenotypes, how they present themselves, right? So, and it's not only usually one thing, there's a lot of overlap. And one of the biggest things is the gut-brain connection, Mm -hmm. very, very big in the microbiome and that's a big interest to mine. And again, it's another whole chapter in uh, in this book because <laughs> it's so important. The book being about tweens and teens, anxiety and mood disorders, and what can contribute to it. We, in my field, we've been into this for many, many, many years. The first, it was 1907, I believe, when Eli Meshnikov first came out with this thing about the bacteria in the gut and how yogurt could help that. This goes back over 100 years. right? And in my field, we've been doing this since I finished my residency in 82. So I've basically been involved with all this for, now I'm going on 37, 38 years. And the, the bottom line is the gut and the brain have this important connection. The gut and the immune system have an important connection. And the triad, the gut-brain-immune system, in the middle sits the microbiome with effects on all of them. So we have to be aware of that. So you ask me, okay, what, you know, around the back, getting there, what do you think may be contributing? First, you have to subtype, because you got to do gut-brain. you got to do immune and uh, autoimmunity and inflammation. Some have immune deficiencies. got to do metabolic things. You know, methyl B12, methylfolate.
2: Mm-hmm. Some
1: are based on genetic predispositions. There are a lot of nutritional deficiencies. When I check these kids out, it would be extremely rare for me not to find either uh, a zinc deficiency, a magnesium deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, very, very common. The problem is these things, they don't get looked at. You get a basically CBC and a, and a SMAC or a chem profile, and you say, oh, everything's fine, liver, kidneys, blood count looks fine, but you're not looking at the underlying nutrient levels, metabolic processes, allergies, food allergy sensitivities, immune hyperreactivity, autoimmunity, all these things, are, and then, of course, the gut. Mm-hmm. So there are things that we can look at to try to get down to what, is underlying it. And if we go back to some of the things that I think really may be underlying it, if you look at the increase in C-sections over the last 30, 40 years, and I'm not alone in this, the whole process is such that we have maybe around 33% C-sections. We have a very high level of C-sections. I think we really shouldn't have more than 15 to 16%. And the problem when you do a C-section, yeah, they can be life-saving, don't get me wrong, so I'm not against, quote, C-sections. But the problem is nowadays sometimes people get them for convenience. When you do a C-section, you rob that infant from going through the birth canal and getting somewhat flooded with the mother's bacteria to populate their own gut with the good bacteria from the mother, hopefully the good bacteria. If the mother's own antibiotics, it might not always be that good. Right. The problem is when you do that, the first bacteria that they come into contact with are skin bacteria from either the mother or the nurses, and that's an abnormal bacteria. And so what happens is they get colonized with these bacteria that are not as helpful right from the beginning. And from the moment you're born, an infant, we call the neonate, needs to have their immune system educated by the microbiome. And it's like having, you know, how you can have teachers, unfortunately. Sometimes they're great teachers and sometimes the teachers your kids get may not be as great. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows that, right? Exactly. So if you get, unfortunately, the microbes that are not as great educators, or you don't educate the immune system in the right way because the immune system is skewed when the infant is in gestation, when prenatally. So to keep a fetus in a mother's body and that fetus is half father, half-mother, that's a foreign body to the the mother's immune system, if you can understand Mm. what I mean. The immune system is supposed to recognize mother. Now the immune system is seeing dad, and we all know how different moms and dads can be, right? So the immune system has to skew to a place where it doesn't react to the fetus, and that is helpful for pregnancy, but unfortunately when that fetus is born into a neonate or an infant, that immune system is skewed, and we have to get it into balance very, very quickly. And the problem is that is helped by the microbiome. And abnormal microbiome from C-sections is a big thing. So I believe right away, we have this infant probiotic, prebiotic. Prebiotics help the good bacteria. Probiotics are actually good bacteria. Prebiotics help the good bacteria in the gut flourish. And in the breast milk, there is a prebiotic, a GOS, galacto-oligosaccharides. There's an infant probiotic that is made of the very helpful lactobacilli and and bifidobacteria, plus this prebiotic to help kind of make right the microbiome right from the beginning. And I think every C section, probably every kid, but certainly every C section baby. So that's one of the problems I see. If the mother's not breastfeeding, unfortunately, they're not getting that same support for the microbiome. That to me is the start. And the problem is, When you skew an immune system or you have a problem with the immune system early on, it's called developmental immunotoxicity, you can have effects way into the future, 20, 30 years. So it's much easier to correct and put an immune system on the right tracks very early on than later. It's much harder later. When you ask me, I think this is a
0: very big issue. You mentioned so much there. I want to go back to as a consultant in hospitals. One of my prime responsibilities is to design operating suites, intensive care units, and any kind of clinical environment. So here's the uptick, is I've actually seen a higher uptick in C-section rooms being designed and built. Yeah. The adverse of that, I've also seen uh, different hospitals, especially down here in South Florida, really like a population boom going right now, but they've actually said, hey, we can not exceed a certain percentage. It has to be emergency surgery only because they recognized the downside and the long term effects of C sections. It's emergency only. Going back to the parents, what can they do? What are the, some of the simple steps they can look for when they're dealing with autistic, ADHD, hyperactivity, uh, gut imbalances, uh, some of the things that you talked about? The other key word here was inflammation. So, explain inflammation a little bit, and then let's dive into blood a little bit, a little bit more. And then the third part of that, the tertiary piece would be what can parents do once they understand those two pieces with what can they look for, what can they do, how can they move forward in a positive way?
1: So inflammation is interesting because inflammation now, of course, is it really does contribute to so many of our chronic diseases. It's got the very bad rap, which it should have on many levels. However, Acute inflammation is healthy. We all need acute inflammation. You cut yourself, you see the redness around the cut and everything obviously gets too bad, it could get infected, but the initial response is all these white blood cells come and they try to heal, they try to mop up the wound and try to heal, fight any infection. Mm -hmm. So that is acute inflammation and that then clears up and you go back to a normal state. The problem is overwhelming inflammation or chronic inflammation, which doesn't go away, and that creates this whole imbalance in the body, and with inflammation, you're talking about all kinds of inflammatory mediators. Things even like histamine, which causes allergy, that's inflammatory. Things called prostaglandins or leukotrienes, these are all inflammatory mediators. Many of them come from these things called mast cells, which get activated with inflammation. But the main part of inflammation we think about are these inflammatory immune messenger molecules. Immune messenger molecules, the big name for them is cytokines, equivalent to the messenger molecules in the nervous system called neurotransmitters, and the messenger molecules in the endocrine system called hormones. In the immune system, they're called cytokines. And there are both inflammatory immune messenger molecules and anti-inflammatory or regulatory immune messenger molecules. And the problem is there are too many frequently inflammatory immune messenger molecules Basically, that can come from stress, that can come from foreign drugs that you may take in, chemicals, but it can come even from certain things in foods, things like gluten in wheat and casein in dairy. They can be inflammatory. They can increase these pro-inflammatory immune messenger molecules. They then can affect the gut lining, causing the gut lining to uh, lose its integrity allow these inflammatory molecules, these larger molecules to pass through where they wouldn't pass through, get into the system, get up to the blood-brain barrier, which is that barrier that keeps things out of the brain because the brain is so sensitive. Yep. And unfortunately, inflame the blood-brain barrier, get in and inflame the brain. So that's where it all goes back to the gut. That's really one of the key things to understand, how things in the gut that can inflame the gut Things like antibiotics that can create a microbial imbalance we call dysbiosis also contributes to this weakening of the gut-intestinal barrier, letting inflammatory molecules in. They get up to the blood-brain barrier. They weaken that, make it have less integrity, and let inflammatory molecules in. So that's, you know, one of the, the keys where you see that. So
0: that's that you, inflammation. You mentioned there about inflammation, the signs and symptoms that we recognize that something was off when they go to the bathroom.
2: Yeah.
0: More like, wait, that doesn't look normal. And that goes exactly to what you're talking about, the inflammation, everything you just talked about there.
1: It can be mucusy poo. It can be diarrhea. It can be very malodorous. I mean, I have, I call them the house clearing. Some of my kids have house clearing poops. Parents will say that. Huh. And I make a, And I make some jokes in the new book about that. You know, I have people <laughs> that come from other countries with pictures of poop, you know. And, yeah. I, and I kid the kids when they come in, because you ask a kid about their poop, and they, oh. At least I' laughing ah,
2: you know it's yeah. like,
1: uh, and and I then I tell them, you know what, well, people come and show me pictures of the poop, and they and they they all freak out, yeah, poop is big, poop yeah. is big,
0: <laughs> real quick side question for you, how many countries have people come from to see you? Have uh, people traveled I, from I,
1: I don't count, but it's it's a huge number. I mean, I would say the continents range from Asia to australia uh Latin europe, South America. You know, certainly all the states, Alaska to California to Washington to Florida. But the countries, I would say, multiple countries in Europe. I think almost every, would that be, and Africa too. I think it's probably every continent by now, not Antarctica. I've not seen anybody <laughs> from that. I don't know. <laughs> but I think literally probably every, uh, and Canada, of course, many from Canada. So sure. I, there, I, I haven't counted the countries, but there, it's just, it's crazy. One day I actually had, people from five different countries on one day. That's the most I've ever had. That blew my mind. I have to be honest. It blew my mind, five countries in one day.
0: (laughs) Congratulations to you. We talked about inflammation there. What are you looking for for your markers when you go back and you're looking at the blood exams that you're calling for? Uh, What are some of the key indicators that are just red flags immediately?
1: The first thing, this is something I said in the first book I wrote, The Road to Immunity, way back in 1997. If you don't look, you won't see. And if you don't listen, you won't hear. So the problem is, once you get a diagnosis like autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, okay, you got the diagnosis, let's go to the medicines. It's like, have you ever heard that guy? Let's go to the videotape. Let's go to the medicines, right. you know? <laughs> and it's like the bottom line, again, I tell you, that's a diagnostic label, but it's not telling you about what's causing it. So you've got to look at all these different areas. Now, listen, I don't do this in every patient. That's why my first visit is an hour and a half. You remember, very detailed... I like details because that can clue me. The history is the most important. The labs are confirmatory, but I usually have a good feel just from the history.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I can't tell you what your kid's zinc level is or their vitamin D level is, although usually it's low, but I can't tell you what exactly it is. Because with vitamin D especially and all these nutrients, you have to monitor the levels. You don't want to overshoot because vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin and can be toxic. So you want to be able to get a level, give them the appropriate dose, and then recheck the level because people react to it differently, a lot of times on genetic predispositions of the vitamin D receptor, et cetera, et cetera. So we do a very thorough metabolic and nutrient profile, okay? And one of the metabolic parts of the metabolic profile is a urine organic acid, not a blood, a urine organic acid, which looks at metabolites in the urine which are related to vitamins and minerals. If certain things are off, it can suggest to you, hey, this is a biotin deficiency. This is a B6. So the person maybe may not have B deficiency. Maybe they need more B6 or they need more B12. Because a lot of the times the kids are not deficient. It's insufficient for their needs. Mm. So I'm not as big on the static levels. I am big on the static levels of the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, vitamin D. In terms of like B vitamins and things, I like to look at these metabolic profiles that will clue me in Because based on the reactions, B vitamins act as cofactors with enzymes. So if you look at these metabolites and you see a metabolite elevated, it may mean the enzyme that's supposed to metabolize that substance or molecule is not as effective. And that enzyme depends on, let's say, vitamin B6. So it says, aha, you need more vitamin B6. So I like that. It's more dynamic. It's more functional rather than just a static level. And the key to recognize is that, like we give met- methyl B12 to a lot of kids in the spectrum and with ADHD. It doesn't help everyone, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but not every one of them is deficient. It's not just for deficiency. It's because they metabolically, methyl, methyl B12, the kind that works the best in the brain, can be calming, can help hyperactivity. Uh, in you know, autistic kids, it can help speech, it can help cognition, it can even help social interaction, but specifically with ADHD, it can be calming and help attention we use it a lot. And you just have to watch out because, you know, I always say the rule of 10%, anything in these kids, whether it be vitamin B6, vitamin B12, can cause an adverse reaction like hyperactivity or irritability. And then you just back up the dose, you have to stop it. It's not like a permanent thing. And let's say B12, maybe methyl B12 in in kids in the spectrum, maybe helps 50, 60%. Very, very significant. It's not everybody. When people have their protocols, it's the same one for everybody. That's where they're not going to get as much success as trying to adapt the protocol for each child. So Mm -hmm. then we're going to look at the immune system, allergies, and consider sensitivities. You know, you may have an allergy. I mean, I had a kid with ADHD that was allergic to corn, and the corn really affected not only their hyperactivity, but also it gave them aggressiveness and mood disorder, Mm. and we diagnosed the corn allergy, and lo and behold, you took it out. Unbelievable. Same thing happens that. when I take out gluten or dairy for certain kids. Not everybody. I had one one mother say gluten. Dairy was her beast. It caused such, and we only think of it as, oh, dairy, lactose tolerance will right. cause gas or yep. smelly diarrhea. But no, these things can actually cause changes in the brain in terms of mood and hyperactivity and inattention. So we got to think about the foods, gluten and, and dairy are two that if a mother's, Looking to try to do something on their own, they could consider that. I'm not going to say it's going to help them all if they go off dairy, they got to make sure they take calcium and magnesium. It's important because kids need calcium. We usually say in, in the spectrum a uh, trial of three weeks off dairy or three months off gluten if you're going to really give it a try. Uh, you may have withdrawal, so you have to be aware that the first few days or a week, it may not be pretty, and you have to get through that, not always easy to do, and that's where you know you really should have help to get your child through it. But those are some of the things it affects enough kids that it's worth considering.
0: So let me ask you this about allergies and food and nutrition. We've had some talks on the podcast where I'm gonna break it down to four. So you have a plant based diet and I don't want you to jump into what if or what not. I'm just trying to ask your opinion about what you think of what you've seen. You have a plant based diet which most of the cardiovascular physicians and surgeons they lean towards then you have a carnivore-based diet, and there's been a couple folks on Joe Rogan podcast which have promoted just just eating meat, okay? Then there's the general diet, which is everything that's out in the stores, the refined carbohydrates and sugars. That's what I call just the general diet, which is really the, all the bad stuff. And then you have a blood-type diet. The common denominator between the three that prove to be healthy, so you have the ketogenic, the plant-based, and then the blood-type diet is there's no refined carbohydrates, and there's no sugars, which you already talked about, that you keep those away. It significantly shows improvement. What are you finding with those different diet types? Is it one that has better results long-term, has worse results, or the truly person-to-person?
1: Well, it's definitely truly person-to-person, because a lot of times I have patients come from India, and they're on a a vegetarian diet, which is a lot of carbs. There's a lot of diabetes and everything in India and Mm -hmm. and obesity except obviously the impoverished who can't eat. But the bottom line is, like if they have dysbiosis, they have yeast or candida because they've been on lots of antibiotics or what have you, then a plant-based diet is very difficult. If it's only just vegetables, it's different. But if it's gonna be a lot of the carbs, because that's in a plant-based diet for many people, mm-hmm. they can have the rotis and the, you know they can have breads and things in these plant-based diets. I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, but that's certainly a lot of people who are vegetarian eat a lot of that stuff. And potatoes and rice is very problematic for these kids who have dysbiosis. Even though they're not sugar, they are refined carbs and they become sugars in the body. Oddly enough, the modified ketogenic diet is very helpful for a lot of the kids I see. It's anti inflammatory.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I say modified because, you know, the strict ketogenic diet, like really strict, like is done with refractory seizures, that's incredibly strict high fat, high protein, basically no carbs at all. I prefer modified ketogenic, which has vegetables, 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 and even they may have some starchy vegetables, Mm -hmm. but really minimal, if any, fruits, oddly enough, and protein and good fats, avocado, olive oil, coconut oil, uh, MCT. So I know you're plant-based. I actually was a vegetarian for 26 years, up until the time I wrote my book, The Road to Immunity, when I realized that I needed more protein. Yeah. And so now I'm much more of the low protein variety. And it turns out when you talk about the blood type diet, the main thing that I see with that is that that people are a a blood type O that usually is consistent with the need to be low carb diet. You know, that's where I see that I think it's 44 percent of people are blood type O and that's who's very consistent with the need for a low carb diet. And there are people who can tolerate carbs. You know, there's no question. Runners and various people, tall, thin people, they can tolerate carbs. But there's a lot of people that may be related to dysbiosis that they can, or SIBO or things like that. So the bottom line for these kids is many of them who come in, oddly enough, we move them towards a paleo-modified ketogenic diet. Not everyone, but many. And it's interesting that, and it may not be forever. It may be to get things back in order. You know, I'm, I'm a moderate. But I, you know, I think you can't go wrong with vegetables, 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 good fats and lean protein
0: in my mind. So I've referenced the blood type diet for myself personally, and here's what I've recognized. And this is conversation not about me, but here's how I've kind of adapted to what you just talked about being a moderate is I was getting, not feeling, not getting sick, but I wasn't feeling well eating red meat. I looked into it and according to the A positive blood type diet recommendation, it's no meat and no corns. So I removed those two and I've done fairly well. You know, I really have done fairly well. Now, the negative side of it is on a strictly plant-based diet, high protein, it's like paper on fire, (laughs) okay? I'm an active person. I exercise. My profession is highly cognitive, so I'm thinking all the time. I'm on calls all the time. I'll eat probably four to six times a day without even thinking about it. And I try to do a little bit of intermittent fasting as well, just to allow my gut to kind of, I wouldn't say heal, but to not have to work so hard continuously. So I'll have uh, like a bigger meal, then a small snack in between with fruits and things like that. My energy's up. I felt better on it. But the biggest thing for me was the red meat that I've noticed. I've constantly been going back and forth with folks that have been asking me, what about the blood type diet? What's about the ketogenic diet? What about what about there is so much information out there. There was one gentleman I heard on a podcast, uh, Ben Greenfield. He went off on just olive oils and coconut oils on a whole podcast for over two hours. about uh, the oh, diff-
1: In a good way or bad way? In a good
0: way. Oh, in yeah, a very re- cool. re- re- okay. very positive yeah, way. Thinking, yeah. And talking yeah. about the variables, which I know we'll touch upon when we talk about supplementation, on the different variables of quality versus something you just buy over the counter.
1: So well, we're going to talk about when we get to supplements... I'm a big believer of the importance of quality. There's Mm -hmm. no same thing with olive oil exactly. I mean, you want organic. So when you talk about diets, listen, I recognize that not everybody can afford organic foods. So I try to make people understand you do what you can. And I don't want you to feel guilty for what you are unable to, because that's the reality. There's a bit of acceptance in life. And the last chapter in that first book I wrote, Healing Begins With Acceptance. I'm a big believer in acceptance as the beginning step towards healing. It's not resignation. It's acceptance of where you are. Then you look to where you want to be and how you can move there. I've had people over the years who, and I can remember this many, many years ago, this uh, successful banker who had chronic fatigue syndrome. And every time we talk about things, she says, yeah, but I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do that. I said, okay, that's fine. But what about now? Uh, but I used to be able to do this. No, no, this is where you are now, not what you used to be able to do. And if you had a kid, let's say, who was, quote, normal and regressed into autism, let's say, or who was doing well and then either suddenly or over time develops ADHD symptoms, this is where they are. And so we want to move them to where we want to be. First thing is to accept it and then wholeheartedly go for what has to be done. So again, it's not by no means resignation. It's acceptance. Acceptance is a very key healing principle. Acceptance, and then resilience and flexibility, the ability to be resilient and flexible in what needs to be done.
0: Yeah. We talked about inflammation. Okay. There's the reason why I'm asking that first. Then blood, different types of diets. What are parents, what do they need to look for? They recognize that they're the potential disorder or something's off with their kid, the telltale signs that they need to respond and go to the next level.
1: Uh, In terms of the initial symptoms or their responses to treatment or what, I'm not sure. So so let's say, for
0: example, we have a child who has ADHD or who's on the autistic spectrum, and they notice, like you said, with the parent that said, hey, dairy is like the devil in our house, because they noticed there was a response, like a more aggressive response. What are some telltale signs that something's going on with someone's body physically? Blood-brain barrier, bad response to different foods that a parent can identify that needs more intervention for someone like yourself?
1: Well, there's some clue. First of all, uh, the biggest thing is when it really starts to affect their life. There is such a thing, you know, in tweens and teens where the kids can be moody and irritable. I mean, teens, you know, we all, your kids are now teens. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I mean, I sometimes have friends who've said, and I know the kids because they're like some very close friends. Kids have become aliens. Great right. kids become aliens for a few years and they come back. But it's, it just, it's just not everybody. Yeah. And I, I think know, every I sitcom
0: has, has wrote a story about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's really true. However, the kid is really a bear in your house with the parents and then goes to a friend's house. And has a great sleepover, and the parent says, Boy, your kid is the most polite, most unbelievable kid, and you go, We're talking about the same kid. <laughs> That's a teenager. Okay, that you know what I mean? But when the symptoms start affecting their life, their school performance, their relations with friends, whether it be gradual or acute. I mean some of these conditions, like I deal a lot with brain inflammation. I mean, I have thousands of kids in the autism spectrum, but but now over the last ten years many, many more kids with brain inflammation, and that brain inflammation is frequently triggered by an infection, whether it be strep or mycoplasma, or even virus, that inflammation of the brain affects various areas of the brain, especially what we call the basal ganglia, which is involved with movements and actually repetitive things. So if it's inflamed, it can cause OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, perseveration, Kid says the same thing over and over, ask the same questions. Mom, am I okay? Mom, am I okay? I, I, am I going to be okay? Is everything okay? Or open and closing lights or doors are going in and out. When it impacts them to a point where they're not seeing friends because of it, they're not going out. I have some kids who won't leave the house. I've had kids who won't leave a room. Or they develop tics, blinking yeah. eyes or moving their head. Or they develop mood disorders with mood dysregulation where they actually very quickly, zero to sixty, will go into a rage and and get destructive and and hit or throw something. Those are obviously when you really need to seek help. And with ADHD, you know, if a kid has you know a little bit of fidgetiness that's not affecting their work, not affecting the relationship, you know, maybe you can deal with that. You may not want to, and then it's still okay to pursue. But it's certainly important to pursue things when they were affecting the quality of, of the child's life, as well as the families. I mean, I have families that are destroyed mm. because the kid they had is going through such things. And of course, I see parents that are the most determined parents. They travel frequently very far to see me. My kind of practice can't accept insurance because of the time I take and all the things we do. I make changes in their diets. I give supplements. So I see a very self-selected, although not only, I mean, I have patients that certainly I try to do my bad, taking care of for years and years, and I do the best I can for them. The point is, the parents of kids when, in the spectrum, I always said, were the most determined parents. They were going to try to find an answer. And if you have a kid with severe ADHD, and, you know, people say, oh, yeah, so what, they're a little hyperactive. I mean, I have kids that can't sit in a chair. They're in a class, and they're going to shout out, or they're going to be, but they're just up and around, they can't sit still. And then they're They're smart kids. Many of my kids are very smart kids, but the grades are starting to fall. Those are when we really have to look at these things. You know, I mean, the bottom line is, could you give them a medicine and experiment with various medicines? I use the medicines, just so you know. It's not like I wouldn't use them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And as we recover kids from the spectrum, a significant percentage of those kids who come out of the spectrum have ADHD, and sometimes they require medicine, and that really Puts it all together. Mm-hmm. So there's the medicines have a place. Stimulants are my last resort. I have other things that we can use other than stimulants. Many parents come to me on medicines. They want to get their kids off medicines. And when we look at all the things and we find them, we can make change. If there's inflammation of in the brain, many of these kids are vitamin D deficient. Vitamin D is very important for quieting inflammation. You want to make sure they have adequate levels, not just above 30, like which is quote the bottom. We like kids to be 50 or 60 if we can, so that we're going to supplement them, get them to a high level, but make sure we check. We don't want them over 100, because then it can get toxic. You have to be cognizant of that. And the same thing with some of the nutrients, B6, zinc, magnesium, especially magnesium taurate, coupled with taurine, which is a calming amino acid. They can be very calming for kids with hyperactivity. So I have different tiers always. I may start certain things, you know, usually you always start with the gut. And most kids are gonna be on a probiotic and you, you adjust their diets and you put them on a supplements, check the levels of things so I can called targeted nutrition. I like to not give kids the same thing. I don't give a multi at the beginning, number one, because I wanna find out where they are. And number two, B vitamins can sometimes activate kids. So mm-hmm. I don't give B vitamins right away. I may give methyl B12 and I try to see if they need methylfolate because sometimes those things can be Cause hyperactivity and irritability, and rarely aggression. So you have to be aware of that. Just because they're nutrients doesn't mean when they're used in appropriate doses, which for me can be higher doses. You have to be aware of the positives and also the adverse effects. And sometimes these things are talked about like it helps everybody and how oh, there's never. A, well, that's not true. With mm-hmm. all the nutrients, when given in increasing doses that the kids may need, can potentially have some adverse effects. Magnesium can cause diarrhea or loose stools you take that into consideration. You have to make adjustments. Sometimes we have to give it transdermally through the skin rather than orally until we have the gut corrected. You have to correct the gut barrier for those kids who have these, what we call leaky guts or Mm -hmm. intestinal hyperpermeability. When it really starts affecting their lives, their relationships, the family relationships, their friend relationships, their school performance, their extracurricular activities, that's when I think they really it uh, could be before that. I, I don't think it's a bad thing even before that. But that's when you really need to look. And if it happens acutely, like some of these kids overnight become, you know, they can even seem like monsters, aggressive and rage and or just aliens just totally depressed and have these intrusive negative thoughts of wanting to harm themselves or others. People come to my office with really severe tics that came on suddenly. Those are really, to me, indicative of brain inflammation and they need to be jumped on as soon as possible because the quicker you can get to inflammation the better chance you're having of a really full response right because when inflammation sits for a long time it can create changes in the neurons and in the use so i always say it's better to do it sooner than later
0: yeah what leaky gut was a big one for us i remember that specifically is once we jumped on that we started to see that immediate response like you just talked about it was the first time that we ever heard it we had no idea
1: you know, that's what, 13 years ago. And you know, we've been doing this a long time. I was, I've been doing this a long time. But now leaky gut actually, in terms of intestinal hyperpermeability, has really creeped into mainstream. I mean, it's there now. I suspect loss of integrity of the blood-brain barrier is getting more attention, although the leaky gut-leaky brain connection, it, some people debate it. But it, I think it's clear there's more and more research. And I, for the latest book, I, you know, obviously, I've been steeped in the research our field, and this is obviously not to pat myself or my colleagues on our backs, this is something that's been important to us, you know, talked about that 13 years ago. It it was not at all accepted in those days.
0: (laughs) Right. So let's jump into supplementation. I'm not going to recommend anyone to do this without guidance and without a professional. When we talk about quality that we have to be aware of, what's changed as well over the last decade?
1: Well, some of the things are still there because there's just more and more research has accumulated What I would say about quality before I get into specifics is there are several supplements that I think is most important for quality. I mean, I think you should have quality in all your supplements. But, you know, listen, vitamin A and a vitamin D, eh, probably okay, you know, in various places. But omega-3s have to be the highest quality, free of heavy metals like mercury, free of chemicals like PCBs, and probiotics have to be of the highest quality. Like the probiotics that I use, they're all individually nitrogen packed, so they're in little in tinfoil. Each one is separate. Because the problem with probiotics is what they say goes in there is usually very far from what comes out when you use it. You want to know what you're getting, not what was put in there at the beginning. Right. The problem with the nutritional supplement industry, unfortunately, is not really regulated, so you don't know what you're getting. So you really want to get a, you know, I say professional grade and we use this pharmaceutical-grade stuff. So probiotics and the uh, omegas, we use monoglycerides, which are the three times the absorption, and they're very high-grade. You know, they're certified to be free of chemicals. You want to make sure of that, because if you're taking a fish oil that's not high-grade, you may be getting a lot of junk in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Same
1: thing with probiotics. You may be getting a probiotic that's basically useless, because it's either so low dose or what have you. Out of everything I use, I'd probably say those are the two most important ones. And then what's also increased over the years probably is the knowledge of some of the natural anti-inflammatory herbs, things like curcumin. You want to increase your anti-inflammatory or regulatory immune messenger molecules, something called IL-10, and you want to decrease your inflammatory messenger molecules, something like tumor necrosis factor alpha or IL-6 or things that can really impact on the gut wall and the brain. One of the ways to do that, curcumin, we can enhance the, it's called Tregs, these T helper cells that help regulate the rest of the the immune response. And vitamin D does that, it enhances Tregs, curcumin does that, and curcumin actually inhibits what we call Th17, these inflammatory T cells. Uh, curcumin is very, very helpful, and you want to get a good one, curcuminoids, it's with very good absorption, that's again, that's to me is another one. And resveratrol, resveratrol and curcumin can actually enhance the blood-brain barrier. A lot of what vitamin D can do the same. So you want to take things that can actually improve the integrity of the blood-brain barrier and make it less permeable. Anything that can quiet inflammation tends to do that. Improving the gut barrier helps that. I would say those supplements, in terms of ADHD, if we're talking about something like phosphatidylcholine, it's a special choline supplement that can actually help improve cell membranes. Choline is a big part of uh, cell membranes. Phosphylcholine is a big part of cell membranes. It can enhance the way cell membranes work. We use phospholcholine, It can help with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And the other things would be methyl B12, methyl B6, in the right situations. So it's not like everybody. I don't give everybody B6 right away.
0: Now, are you talking uh, ingestion? or
1: Methyl B12 we give is still subcutaneous a lot of times. Yep. That's certainly an autism. And it, it, sometimes if there's an issue with that with kids, we may give it nasally because it gets very good absorption nasally, just that it's red. Methyl B12 is red. Mm-hmm. So if it leaks, it looks like blood. So we make sure people know that. Right. And the other way is under the tongue, which is tough for kids to take. Little kids take it under the tongue. Obviously, older kids can uh, because methyl B12 is not absorbed great orally. So we do either subcutaneously, nasally, sublingually, and the least would be orally. And the same thing with methylfolate. Some kids, if they have this MTHFR, it's the genetic predisposition to not metabolizing folic acid into the active form methylfolate, which is the form that crosses the blood-brain barrier, we can give high doses of methylfolate in the cases where they need it. So we sometimes see antibodies to the the folate receptor, and you'll see uh, in the organic acids a need for methylfolate. Mm -hmm. So it'll tell us that it needs to be pushed certainly being aware of the potential side effects. So we increase very slowly, but sometimes they need higher doses. So this is what I would say it's important to get evaluated so the person you work with can target the nutrients for your child and not just go to the internet and say, oh, this works for so-and-so, so so this is what I have to be on. It doesn't really work that way. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, And that's what I don't want this podcast to portray is oh, you just listed out 20 different supplements you can try or take or that have shown a positive reaction. Everyone's different. Everyone's different based on what their blood shows, one, their testing criteria, how their response is. You need the guidance of someone like you, without question. We learned that very quickly. You need the guidance. This is not an exercise of, here, here hear the list of supplements and go check them out and see what yeah, works and, and play chemist at home that you're going to, you're going to hurt someone potentially. And we well, need to be also, careful about
1: that. The other point of that is also timing and sequencing is important. You don't just give everything at once. You try to figure out when things are needed, then you add them. So there is, I always say one thing about my profession, and a lot of my patients are worried about me retiring. I've been doing this a long time, <laughs> but I love it. And your reference to house, which was, by the way, it was very flattering. And I appreciate it. My patients will say that, and in essence, I really I find it flattering. But I also feel like that's what I do. I play like a medical detective. For me, it's actually fun. I love it. It stimulates my mind, and I get to you know. I say I tell my kids as I get the opportunity to help people, kids and their families, because when you help a kid who's really really affected, you help the families, the siblings. The
0: yeah. Without parents. question,
1: I do think people need somebody to help them with it. And hopefully it's somebody who has experience. You know, a lot of people jump onto this bandwagon and they start doing it and they go, oh boy, I can get into this kind of practice. The reality is, and they come up with their quote protocol. And yeah, they may hit it with a couple of people, but I think the bottom line is you want, kind of this is where you really want individualized, personalized medicine. You want somebody who can really put the pieces together, considers the details and comes up with a program that's for your child. Now listen, it doesn't mean it's going to all be right, right from the get go. That's part of why I feel like I've been effective is just like I say, resilience and flexibility at the level of the cell and at the level of the person. It's also at the level of my work. I got to be flexible. I have to watch how a child responds or even a parent, because I treat the whole families a lot of times, but how somebody responds to a treatment. And then you got to be, able, okay, this is the response I want. Ah, oh, this is not the response. This might indicate to me I need this, or this lab test might say this. But you want somebody who does that, who is not just rigid and doing the same thing. Okay, you come in this first visit, you get this. Second visit, you get this. You want somebody who has that ability to bob and weave, as we might say, on a, on a basketball court or, yeah, or, or, or what have you. Okay. I can
0: see that. Let me dive into your new book. What are some of the takeaways people are going to be looking for?
1: Well, first of all, I'm very excited about it, just finishing the manuscript and, of course, just handing it in, but it's got a long way to go with copying all that stuff that's going to come out early next year. What's the name um, of it? Well,
0: I, oh, you can't say it the yet, name right?
1: is, You can't say it, but it's also, it's a tentative name. I think it's going to be, but the, the main thing, what it's about is medical conditions that may masquerade as tweens and teens, anxiety and mood disorders, and ADHD is in there as well. So. So, I'm thrilled. It was really, it's a a long project. It's great. We just finished it right on time. It was due date and it's going to be published by HarperCollins, which is great. Yeah, I'm excited. So, that's great. And this book actually evolved from Healing New Childhood Epidemics, has reached people. It has really been a best illness since it's reached people all over the world. And it's helped a lot, a lot of people. But that was the four A's autism, ADHD, asthma, and allergies. And then as I saw more and more kids, and I've seen thousands and thousands of kids on the on the spectrum of ADHD, parents would have kids that were neurotypical, but would have anxiety or mood disorders. So they would see the effect that some of these things had on the anxiety or moods of their kids that weren't neurotypical. And they'd ask me to be able to see their other kids as well. I really started to see more and more kids in the neurotypical spectrum, but who had mood dysregulation and brain inflammation for the last 10 years, or even now it's probably 12, 13 years, I decided it was time that I put that together. So mm-hmm. this is a book not for kids. I mean, listen, it's it's kind of an outgrowth of my work with kids in the spectrum, but it's for the hundreds of thousands really millions of kids. It, it's, it's, the, the percentage of kids affected with mood disorders is crazy yeah, high.
0: Yeah, I can see. Uh,
1: and increasing. and We know how our tweens and teens are affected by anxiety and depression. This is basically being written, not to say that it can't be psychosocial in terms of pressures of social media, which can be crazy for kids, I Mm -hmm. think, and bullying and various kinds of things that they go through and the stresses of academics and how kids are, I feel kids are getting pushed these days to almost not be children and just screw off a little bit, but everything's got to be regimented and you've got to be at the highest level. That being said, If you miss the things that I am talking about, which are medical conditions that may masquerade as anxiety and mood disorders in tweens and teens, then you're relegating these kids to basically a life of either psychotropic meds or therapy, and not that therapy can't be helpful for them for sure, and even the medications at times, but if a kid's got Lyme disease or Bartonella, or a kid's got strep-induced or mycoplasma-induced brain inflammation, or a kid's got You know, low thyroid or uh, hormonal things, or metabolic issues, or nutritional deficiencies, or allergies. If you don't recognize that, then unfortunately, your kids probably not going to respond as well to the other approaches, and they're probably not going to get fully better. So this book is going to have relevance to so many people. I'm I'm really excited. The publishers are really, really excited about it. I think it's going to be able to hopefully have a really significant effect on our tweens and teens.
0: When I appreciate with this follow-up book is this. You you said it yourself, people are worried about you retiring and selfishly, (laughs) yeah, a lot of people are. If you, we know this, I mean, we're we're both professionals in the world. The more you share, the more you give, the better we become, right? If these books leave a legacy of you where people can pick up where you left off and we just keep improving and moving forward, then your legacy is going to be, you've changed the world, period. It really is to be honest and to be frank with you about that because anyone can pick up a book unless they decide not to print it anymore but this is all for the positive you really have just affected every living person on this planet who is going to need help at some point based on your information based on have you started with kids as infants all the way into tweens and teens and adulthood so yeah. thank you for that appreciate that
1: yeah no no it's really it's it's interesting because I think you know when I when I talk to my kids, I'll say, listen, you know, when I leave this earth, I feel like I can feel good that I, I did make an effect and I helped a lot of people, which is, which is great. And I really enjoyed doing it, so that I'm lucky. I mean, I think as you know, you you're obviously clearly a hard worker and you like your work. It's obvious,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it stimulates you as it stimulates me. We're lucky, uh, you know. I mean, to be able to love your work because we put in a lot of time in our work for sure. Right. And the interesting thing as professionals is. One of the things why I tell people why would I want to retire is that, yes, do I love tennis and golf? Yes, I do. <laughs> and I, and I, am I playing a little more of it? Yes, I am. But it's like I always say, like professionals are like a good red wine. You get better with age. You get better with experience. I can pick up things now that I may have not picked up 30 years ago because I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. So we get better. I'm sure when you're designing your suites and your operatives and that kind of thing, you're better now. You've done it many times. You've seen it. You've learned. So I think mm-hmm. for professionals, dentists and uh, lawyers, and you know, you get better with age, really, unlike maybe professional athletes, their skills may deteriorate. When you use your cognitive skills, hopefully, uh, if you take care of yourself and you maintain them, your experience is, for me in medicine, that experience means a lot. You don't only need a a 20,000 double-blind placebo-controlled study to tell you things. When you've been doing it for a long time and you see it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you
1: that yeah. gives you the basis from which to jump off. So
0: I agree. Last couple points for you. You're obviously very highly educated, and you are probably reshaping some of the definitions that are out there as far as standards. But what do you look to, what are you, the books that you're reading that you're going to promote self-education and Imagination of what's possible, what things are. What are the podcasts that you listen to as well? And uh, then there's one last question I leave for everyone at the end.
1: I actually don't listen to it. I have to be honest. I mean, right now because I just finished a book, I've been steeped in research, so I'm I'm much more into the actual primary research. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to be writing, I need support from articles. So quite frankly, that's what I've been steeped in, and. My wife listens to a lot of podcasts. My daughter is, and I'll probably start listening more because I just finished Crunch Time, and I can tell you it was really Crunch Time. <laughs> yeah. And very interesting thing is I'm reading on a Kindle now. You know, a lot of times you'd be reading a book on a Kindle and you don't see the cover, right? So you're reading a book, and actually the name of the book might the it's very interesting concept. I just finished one a really interesting book. I think it's When Time Stops or Stopped. It's it, it was about a uh, Holocaust survivor, his daughter. And uh, she went back in her family history. It was really a uh, phenomenal book. And, and I read every night before I go to bed now. And and I also like to read uh, mysteries because of all the research I do and all the reading I do in my field. I think it's important. This is a big thing I would say to everybody to finish up is to have balance. Yeah, You know, you work sure. hard is great, but you got to play hard. I work hard. I exercise. I know people don't think golf is exercise, but I walk 9 or 18. Play vigorous singles tennis still, and I, I love it. And we go for walks every day in the, during the quarantine. Me and my wife usually go for a two and a half mile walk. We live up Little Mountain, so we walk uphill. You eat healthy, and also you have balance. So it's okay. Like, I mean, I know I, my wife's very literate, and I sometimes will read these really cool mystery uh, novels. And it's like, hey, sometimes you just want to wind down. So you want to allow yourself mm-hmm. that ability to let yourself relax.
0: Michelle so reminds me of that as well to, to wind down a little bit.
1: Yeah, you. I think you probably, I, I, probably
0: it's good for you, right? Yeah, I'm go 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 all the time. I do appreciate it. I do hear her. I don't always take it. So this is my infamous last question, Dr. Bach. The final word is yours. What do you have to say?
1: I just want people to. Number one, I like to say, healing begins with acceptance, and then we work towards transformation. I like to leave people with the fact that if you have kids that are either yourself or some of your family are affected by anything we've talked about, that you can have realistic hope when you get told, like I know you were told early on, if you have a kid in the spectrum that there's no cure, they'll never get better. I never speak of cure, by the way, so we're not going to use that word cure because there isn't a cure. But I have lots and lots and lots of recovered kids in college now. You would never know they had autism and kids with ADHD. They can't help without medicines. So I just want there to be uh, knowledge that to have realistic hope and that it's important to seek and be determined and seek the help that will help your child. And just because you've potentially been to a lot of specialists and parents will tell me, I've been to the best. I've been to the best. We'll say, how's your kid doing? Well, they're doing, they're doing terrible. I've been to the best. The fact is the best in the paradigm is the best in that paradigm, but sometimes you have to take a step outside of that paradigm and get a different approach. And listen, nobody ever makes guarantees. I never make guarantees. The biggest thing I want to leave people with, and anybody who tells you they can cure your kid or they give you 100% guarantee, first of all, you got to walk right out the door. The key is to work with somebody you trust, who is is realistic, gives you realistic hope. And I want you to understand the importance of balance, especially a balanced immune system. So you don't go to a health food store and say, I want to get stuff to boost my immune system. And you have an 18-year-old clerk who tells you, we're going to boost that immune system when the kid has autoimmunity and inflammation and needs to quiet it down. So I just want you to recognize, don't get crazy with the internet and that this thing helps so-and-so it should help yours. and And if it doesn't, Oh my God, I'm a failure. You didn't do anything wrong. What's happened to this date has happened and that you try to find somebody to work with that you trust and you can move together in a way it doesn't have to be, the kid's not going to be better tomorrow but that you find somebody you can work with that you trust and hopefully you kind of try to implement a number of the things I've talked about today. Again, I just would want to leave you with, in in this time of uh, COVID, to uh, stay healthy. Social distance, but also the key for health and immune health is laughter, Mm. love, and resilience. Don't forget, it's important to laugh.
0: I love it. One of the comments I, I caught on your website and traditional medicine is very orderly and compartmentalized. Unfortunately, though, Mother Nature is not. Right, right. It's yeah. so true. It's so true. Dr. Bach, we can find you at com. We can also find you at bachintegrative.com as well. Yes, and, yes. And uh, we'll leave all that information in the podcast notes. This is Healthcare 360. You just listened to Dr. Kenneth Bach want to thank you again we'll see you in the next one i'm scott burgess i'm your host this is healthcare 360 take care oh my gosh <laughs> and, and it's an encyclopedia right there right in front of me
1: <laughs> well there you go hopefully it gave people a lot of things like that, that'd be helpful for
0: them oh it's great well yeah. i appreciate your time today really thank you thank, thank you very much yeah and, you uh, did
1: a great job i wanted to tell you good easy host you brought up a lot of the important stuff so it's good i appreciate you. it thanks i'll,
0: to thank I'll thank talk to you soon you take care of yourself I am so thankful for Dr. Bach. His books listen in the podcast notes below are a fantastic resource to learn from and prepare you for a similar doctor's visit if you have similar conditions in your family. From our family to yours, we hope you are feeling well, and we hope you have gained great business insights and some next level information as we move past this global pandemic. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or any way you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at HC360podcast or healthcare360podcast.com. If you'd like to have a conversation or discuss a topic option at Healthcare 360, please look for the calendar link in the podcast notes below, and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates HC360 Nation's best and brightest. And I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.